in my bucket list. Every time that I get up in the morning and I'm able to thank God for one more day and uh, faithfully expecting that uh, new things are coming up and trusting in Him, that's my bucket list. To visit all 50 states and all seven continents. To go see the Great Wall of China. Legitimately drive a golf cart. To fly a fighter jet. It's pretty simple. I want to skydive. I want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. What is on my bucket list? To be a professional musician. To take my wife and four daughters to Europe on a sightseeing trip. To drive a Ferrari. Beating James Merritt in golf. Well, Jason better live a long time. That's all I can tell you. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here. I want to welcome those who are watching us on television, those who are watching online, those at all of our campuses. We welcome you. We appreciate you being here today. I love history, and I was reading the other day about Sir Walter Raleigh. You may have studied about him in school, the famous explorer, helped to colonize North America. He was a favorite of Queen Elizabeth, but Queen Elizabeth died. And King James I ascended to the throne, and for some reasons, he did not like Walter Raleigh. And Walter Raleigh fell into disfavor. And so finally, King James I ordered that this bold explorer be beheaded. When he arrived at the chopping block, the executioner, who had great respect for this man, sat, bent down and tried to advise him on how to best place his head so that the death would be quick. Walter Raleigh looked at him and said this. He said, my dear sir, it matters little how the head lies so long as the heart is right. It matters little how the head lies so long as the heart is right. We are in a series that we're calling the bucket list. And I've been telling you, we all have a bucket list. Whether you've written it down or not, some have, some haven't, but we all have a bucket list. There are things that all of us want to do before we die. We want to see before we, we die. We want to experience before we die. There are places we want to go to, and, and, and there are things that we want to feel that we've never felt before before we die. Now, what we've been saying is there is a difference between what you may want to do before you die and what you better make sure that you do before you die. And what we've been talking about are not the things that you would like to do, but the things that you must do. And we believe there are seven of them. And the reason why there are seven is because they were on Jesus' bucket list. And I believe that what was on his bucket list ought to be on everybody's bucket list. And they're found in the seven last things that Jesus said right before he died. Now, let me tell you why this is such an important series. You're really not prepared to live until you're prepared to die. And you're not prepared to die until you're prepared to die right. And let's be honest. Every day, many of us get up in the morning and we go to war fighting this battle against death. And we've got an array of weapons at our side to try to stave death off. Diet, exercise, doctors, medicine, gyms, hospitals, vitamins, but we know deep down that in the end, death always wins. We also know, if God's word is true, no death is an accident. Every death is an appointment. And when our appointment time comes, and every one of us is going to keep that appointment, we had better be ready to meet it. Now, here's the good news. 
Jesus, the great thing about Jesus is he said, you know what? Before I die, I'm going to teach you how to die. As a matter of fact, I'm going to teach you the last words you ought to be able to say before you die. Because they were the last words Jesus ever said before he died. And wouldn't you know it, who recorded those words? Who found out he said those words? A doctor. His name was Luke. That's why it doesn't surprise me that the only of the four gospel writers, the only writer that records these words is Luke because Luke is a doctor. Doctors deal with life and death. And so you know that a doctor would be very interested to know what was the last words the Son of God spoke before he died? What were the last words that, that God in the flesh spoke before he died? What are the last words that the greatest man who ever lived said before he died? A doctor would want to know that. So as he investigated the life of Jesus, he wanted also to know everything about the death of Jesus. And in his research, he uncovers the very last words that Jesus, Jesus spoke. Now, it's not news that Jesus is dying. You would, even, you would expect that even Jesus would die. Why would you expect that? He was a man just like we are. And we know that everybody dies. Crucifixion had a perfect record. One out of one crucified people died. As a matter of fact, as you know, death has a perfect record, right? Death bats a thousand. One out of one people die. Newsflash, you're going to die. I'm going to die. We're going to die everybody's going to die. It may be sooner for some. It may be later for some. It may be unexpected for some. It may be expected for others, but we're all going to die. So what made Jesus's death so interesting and so stunning was not that he died. We all die. It was the way he died. Because you see, death didn't have the last word with Jesus. Jesus had the last word with death. Jesus did not master, or death did not master Jesus. Jesus mastered death. He has the last word. I want to read this story to you. If you brought a copy of God's word or you have uh, an iPhone or a smart pad or whatever the, you know, it is you like to use, I want you to turn to a gospel called Luke. It's the third gospel. It's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're in Luke chapter 23. We're going to read beginning in verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So for three hours, pitch black, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Don't have the time to talk about that. That was a big deal. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Have you ever thought about it? I know you don't like to. I don't like to. You ever thought about your last breath? Where it's going to take place? Where you're going to be? You know, we kind of all have this scenario, right? Hopefully we'll be on our bed and we'll be surrounded by our family and our kids and our grandkids and our relatives and maybe some friends and, you know, we'll be able to kind of have last words and maybe it'll work that way or maybe it won't. But have you ever thought about what are you going to say with your last breath? You know, it's very interesting to me when you read about the death of Jesus, none of the New Testament gospel writers are content to just say that Jesus died. They all say that his spirit went directly into the hands 
of God. When Jesus died, he didn't go quietly into the night. He doesn't go out with a whimper. He goes out with a bang because the last thing on his bucket list was this. Jesus said, here's the last thing I want to do before I die. I want to die in God's hands. That's how I want to die. I want to die in God's hands. Can I just be honest? That's the only way to die. You don't want to die until you're ready to die in God's hands. How do you do that? Well, in that last statement, Jesus tells us exactly how to do it. Three things I want to share with you today. Number one, you must, you, when you die, make sure you are connected to the Father's heart. Be connected to the Father's heart heart. Now, every part of this statement is, is you're going to find out is extremely important, but especially the first word. Here's the first word. Remember, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, what you may or may not know, you probably don't. This is actually a quotation from a verse in the book of Psalms, Psalm 31 and verse 5. Any Jew that heard Jesus say this would have been very familiar with what he said because Jewish mothers would actually teach their children to recite that verse every night before they would go to bed. As a matter of fact, for many children, Jewish children, the very first scripture they ever learned was Psalm 31 Verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, I got to thinking about this when I was preparing this message. Back in the 18th century, there was a uh, children's prayer that many parents taught their children to say at night before they would go to bed. Some parents still do it, you know. You may remember it. It goes like this. I mean, you remember, the, you know what I'm going to say, right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. How many of you prayed that prayer at least once you were growing up? Sure, we all did, right? Where do you think we got that? We got that from the Jewish people. They taught their, their, their kids exactly the same type of prayer. So when a kid prays that prayer, it's just a modern form of the same prayer that Jesus prayed when he was on the cross, the same prayer that Jewish kids prayed before they would go to bed. But there was one thing different about this prayer. If you'd been a Jew and you'd heard Jesus say this prayer, oh, you would have recognized the prayer except for one thing. Because when Jesus prayed this prayer, he prayed it in a way that no one had ever prayed this prayer before. This prayer was original with Jesus. Nobody in history, nobody in the history of the Jewish race had ever prayed this prayer the way that he prayed it. You know what was so different about that prayer? The first word. Father. No Jew called God Father. There is no record anywhere of any Jew that ever prayed that way until Jesus did. And you see, Jesus wanted the world to know that when he died, he was connected to the Father's heart. He wanted the world to know, I'm not just going somewhere, I'm going to the Father. You know, one of the things that irritated the Pharisees so much was the way he kept referring to God as his Father. As a matter of fact, one of the first words that, that we hear Jesus say, in fact, these are the only words we know that Jesus spoke as a youth. Every other word he spoke, he was already 30 years old. There was only one time we know that he ever spoke before he was 30 years old, and he was 12 years old, and this is the words that he said. He said it to his mom and his dad. He said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, had you been Joseph, his earthly father, you would have thought, 
So I'm really not your father. You know, I know I'm not your father because I did not father you. God is your father. And this was by far and away his favorite term for God. He loved to call God his father. Let me just teach you a lesson. There are generally four relationships that God either has with us or he wants to have with us. Okay, here they are. One is creator, one is king, one is judge, and one is father. Those are the four relationships, the basic relationships that God either has with us or God wants to have with us. Now, one of those relationships is actually, actually fundamental to the other three relationships. For example, God is creator, but he didn't create us just so we would exist. God is king, but he didn't create us just to rule over us and tell us what to do. God is judge, but he didn't create us just to penalize us when we do wrong or to reward us when we do right. God is father. And the number one reason why God created you and me is to love us and for us to love him, for him to be our father and for us to be his children and for us to be a part of his family. See, let me, let me, I want you to hear this. The most important thing about God is not that you believe that he exists. That is not the most important thing. The most important thing about God is, is that you know him for who he really is and you know him personally as your father. There, there was a math teacher and she was teaching her first grade class about a, a math and she was teaching them how to add and subtract. And so she just randomly called on a little boy named Brad. And she said, Brad, uh, let's see how much you've learned today. She said, now, Brad, she said, now, if you have $2 and you ask your dad for $10, how much money would you have? Brad said, I'd have $2. And the teacher said, now, Brad, you don't know your math. He said, ma'am, you don't know my dad. Now, the, the, the question is, do you know your God as your father? The question is, is God my father? That's right. I want you to ask that question right now. Is God, I know he's your creator. One way or the other, he will be your judge. He is your king, whether you admit it or not. But the fundamental relationship is, is God my father? Now, some of you kind of flippantly said, oh yeah, he's my father. Well, just time out. Let me just review. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. You're not ready to die until you're ready to meet God. You're not ready to meet God until you know him as your father. You do not know him as your father until you become his child. You do not become his child until you're born again into his family. You're not born again into his family until you receive his son. So simply put, God becomes your father when you become his child, but you only become his child when you receive his son. So when you die, you want to make sure your heart is right. And if your heart is right, you will be connected to the father's heart, but you can only be connected to the father's heart if he is your father. And he only becomes your father when you receive Jesus Christ. So here's the point. If you want to call on God as your father when you die, you have to first call on Jesus to be your savior when you live. If you want to call on God as your father when you die, you must first call on Jesus as your savior when you 
live. Question, is God your father? The cold hard truth is for some of us, no, he's not. Because you've never been born again into his family. And you've never been born again because you can't be born again until you receive his son. And you've never received his son. So the first question is, am I connected to the father's heart? When I die, I want to be connected to the father's heart. Here's the second thing we need to be. We need to be committed to the father's hands. Not just connected to the father's heart. We need to be committed to the father's hands. Now listen to this statement again and hear these words. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now keep in mind, you're listening to the last words that the human Jesus ever uttered in a natural, physical body. But I want you to notice something. Bet you've never thought about this. Jesus is the only person who's ever lived who chose to die. You, you don't have a choice when it comes to death. Now, if you're suicidal, you, 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 you can choose how you die, and you can choose when you die, but you can't choose whether or not you're going to die. You don't get to choose to die. You're going to die whether you choose to die or not. Death doesn't have to ask permission to take you. But it had to get his permission because make no mistake about this. In the end, Jesus was not murdered. As a matter of fact, unlike most crucified men, he did not die of asphyxiation or dehydration. He didn't die involuntarily. He didn't die against his will. He chose to die. How do I know this? Because Jesus said this about his own physical life. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I've got authority to lay it down. I've got authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Jesus died voluntarily. Remember what he said? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now that word commit is a really interesting word. It's a word that literally means to place beside. You know what it really was? It was a banking term. And what it literally meant was it meant to deposit money into a bank for safekeeping. In other words, what he literally said was, Father, into your hands I deposit my spirit. Uh, many of us, I, I have one, maybe you do, I, I've got some va very valuable items, some family heirlooms and other things I've collected over the years that people have given me and that I've inherited and so forth. And I have a safety deposit box in a bank. And all of those very valuable items are in a safety deposit box box, a safe deposit box. That's the idea uh, that, that we have here. Jesus deposited his spirit into the hands of the Father. He voluntarily gave it up. For, for, you, you go back to the Old Testament. No Old Testament sacrifice ever died voluntarily. No lamb ever climbed up on the altar and said, take me. No lamb ever climbed up by itself to die. You know what you had to do? You had to place that lamb on that altar. You had to hold it down by its neck before you slit its throat. But Jesus died voluntarily. And when he died, here's how he died. By fully trusting God, by placing his spirit into God's hands. Now listen carefully. You are not ready to die until you can know and know that you are safely depositing your spirit into God's hands. But I've got news for you. You're not only not ready to die until you're ready to deposit your spirit in God's hands, you're not even ready to live until you have placed your life in God's hands. As a matter of fact, you want to know a secret? If God is your father, you're in his hands right now. If God is your father, 
You're in his hands right now. That same psalm that Jesus just quoted, in that same psalm later on, David wrote these words. He said, my times are in your hands. Your time is not in your hands. Your time is not in the government's hands. Your times are not in the military's hands. Your times are not in the terrorist's hands. If God is your father, you are in God's hands. And I want to tell you, there is no safer place in the entire world to be than in God's hands. His hands are never full. Those hands never fail. And from those hands, you can never fall. I was reading the other day a a true story. It it was kind of a heartbreaking story, but it was a sweet story. There was this little boy, and, and he was dying of this incurable disease. And he was just about to die. He wasn't going to live very much longer. And his father was actually lying in bed with him. And, and, and the dad could tell that his son was about to die. And so he just got as close to him as you can imagine you would do. He, he took his son and he kind of got him in his arms and just got as close to him as he could. And he cradled him in his arms. And, and with tears coming down his cheeks, he just couldn't help himself. He said, son, he said, I, I'm so sorry. He said, I wish there was something I could do. And then he said, son, I hope that you're not afraid to die. And that little boy reached up and took his daddy by the jaws, by the chin. And he looked in his daddy's eyes and he said, Daddy, now listen to this. He said, Daddy, if God's hands are like your hands, I'm not afraid to die. If God's hands are like your hands, I'm not afraid to die. See, you don't have to be afraid to die. When you know that you can safely deposit your spirit You can safely deposit your life into the hands of a God who loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. So when you die, you better be on your bucket list. Man, I want to die. I want to be connected to the Father's heart. When I die, I want to be committed to the Father's hands. And when I die, I want to be confident in the Father's hope. I want to be confident in the Father's hope. Now, there's one final word I want you to notice, and it's really important. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my my what? My spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. What Jesus deposited with his Father was not his body. That still was going to remain on the cross a little while longer. It was going to be punctured by a soldier's spear. It was going to be wrapped in spices and cloth. It was going to be placed in a tomb. What Jesus committed to the Father, listen, was the most valuable part of every human being that's alive right now and the most valuable part of every human being who has ever lived because there's one part of us that's eternal. There's one part of us that separates us from the animals. There's one part of us that separates us from the plants, and it is our spirit. I went to the gym yesterday with my oldest son. I went to the gym to work out. And, um, and, and I love working out. I try to stay in you know, as good a shape as I can. And, but I got to just looking at the people in that gym. I mean, boy, I'll tell you, there are some ripped people in that gym. I mean, there are some guys, I'm telling you, they are sucking steroids with a straw. I'm just telling you that right now. I mean, they're huge and they're big and they got, oh, I mean, they're, 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 just, they're just so massive. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I thought to myself, There's so many people in this gym right now. And they think the most valuable part of them are those biceps and those triceps and those pectorals and those calf muscles. 
And they don't realize the most valuable part of them is not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. And I thought about how many people go to the gym and work out the least valuable part of them and neglect the most valuable part of them. Because let me tell you something. Work out. Run your marathon. Do your triathlon. Go, you know, go get into WWE. I mean, you know, do whatever you want to do. You know, pump that weight and all that. But at the end of the day, you're going to die. I'm sorry. The, the muscles are going to turn to flab. That belly button is going to hit the floor. And you are going to die. But your spirit is going to live somewhere forever. And that's why you should have no fear of death if you know Jesus. Because if you know Jesus, you're going to deposit the one thing that's going to live forever into the hands of God who lives from forever past to forever future. See, the reason why this is in the Bible is real simple. The death of Jesus is the model of how we ought to face death. With courage and confidence. Not afraid and anxious. Not worried or wincing. We can die knowing in the final moments of our life that we can commit who we really are. We can commit what we really are into the loving hands of a loving Father that's going to escort us into eternity. See, we fear death for one reason. Because when it comes to this physical life, death is final. And the truth of the matter is this. We, we don't really know what happens at death. You don't get to do it and come back and say, hey, it's okay. I mean, some people say they have, but you really don't get to go and, to, I mean, really go and be gone for a long time and then come back. So we're really not sure what happens when we die. Here's what we do know when we die. We're, we're going to leave a world that we have known, the only world we've known, for another world we've never even seen. And yet, because of this one statement, what we know about his death should free us from the fear of our death. Did you hear me? What we know about his death should free all of us who have God as our Father from the fear of our death. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why Luke put this in, his, in the Bible. Let me tell you why this story is so magnificent. Real simple. What happened to Jesus when he died is what happens to us when we die if we know Jesus. What happened to Jesus when he died is what happens to us when we die if we know Jesus. Jesus died with a prayer so that no follower of Jesus would ever die without one. When we die, we've all got a prayer. And it ought to be this prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Because what Jesus said when he died, we can say when we die. I was coming to church this morning and I was going over my message in my mind. And I said, Lord, I hope I make it to church. I hope I don't meet a drunk driver. I hope nothing happens to my car. I hope I don't get into a head-on collision. I hope none of that happens. But Father, just in case, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Back in uh, about 1992, I took my oldest son, James. We went on a mission trip to Romania. And, and, and this was back in the days when the, Romania had just come out of communism. And so we were actually driving uh, with another missionary. We were actually driving from Romania into Hungary. We were going to, to, to Budapest. Well, that was back in the day that even though Romania was not under communism anymore, a lot of Eastern Europe still was. And so as we were about to pass into the border to go over into Hungary, I'd never been to a communist checkpoint in my life. I don't know if some of you have or not. I'd never been to a communist checkpoint in my life. And so we get to the border, and there's these communist guards. I mean, they're dressed in, their, in, the, in those, those, you know, those, those communist uniforms. And, and they stopped us, and, and they took our passports. 
They put metal detectors under our car. They interrogated us. And I'll be honest with you, for a while, I didn't even know if we were going to get through or not. I really, I wasn't frightened so much, but I just, I'd never been through anything like that before. And I really didn't know if we were going to get through or not. And I got to thinking about that as I was reading this passage of Scripture, and I thought to myself, you know, when a child of God draws their last breath, <laughs> and you get to the border of heaven, there won't be any hassles. There won't be any background check. There won't be many metal detectors trying to locate all the wrong things you've done in your life. When you get to heaven, you're going to find out your passport has been signed, sealed, and delivered on the cross of Jesus Christ. And you will be personally escorted by God who is holding your spirit in the palm of his hands. And by the way, don't miss out how Jesus said what he said with his last breath. Remember this, Jesus called out with a loud voice. This was no ordinary death by crucifixion. You know, normally when a crucified person died, he went out with a whipper. I mean, usually it was due to a progressive weakening, the shutting down of vital organs, the heartbeat slowed down, he went into unconsciousness, there was this feeble last breath, and he died. Not Jesus. He didn't die defeated, he died victoriously. He didn't die a loser, he died a winner. He didn't, have, he didn't let death have the last word. He had the last word. And my point is, this is the way we can all die. This is the way we all should die. This ought to be on everybody's bucket list. God, God I don't know where I'm going to die. God, I don't know when I'm going to die. God, I don't know how I'm going to die. But God, I know this. When I die, I want to be in your hands. I want to know that I'm in not just good hands. I'm in God's hands. One of my favorite authors is um, Philip Yancey. I don't know if you've ever heard of Philip Yancey, but Philip Yancey is a great, great author. I, I read everything that Philip Yancey writes. In one of his books, he, he wrote some words, and, and the minute I read them, I was so impressed that at the end of the words in my book, I wrote one word down in big letters, and I underscored it. I put about five exclamation points on it, and that word was beautiful. And when I read those words, I said, one day in a message, if I get to do this before I die, I want to share these words with the people that hear me. So I want to share them with you today. I want you to listen carefully. Yancey said, for everyone, death involves a process of letting go. And let's be honest, isn't that what's tough about death, you have to let go. You have to let go of the children. You have to let go of the grandchildren. You have to let go of all the beautiful things you've enjoyed about this world and about this life. You have to let go. Attachments, relatives, friendships, possessions, identity, everything that defines life for us, we let go in death. For the Christian, death also involves an anticipation of new beginnings. We let go bodies that have served us, not perfectly, but well enough, in exchange for new bodies. We let go of known life, touched with grace and pleasure, but also evil and pain, in exchange for the promise of a life perfected. We let go the muddle of doctrine and wavering faith in exchange for sure knowledge at last, and during the rest of life, we prepare for that exchange. 
Now, let me tell you what you're doing right now. You're preparing for that exchange. Or you're not. See, in the end, can I just be honest? And I know you know this. In the end, everybody who's ever died, today, everybody that dies, and tomorrow, everybody that will die, everybody only dies one of two ways. You die prepared or you die unprepared. It's that simple. You die prepared or you die unprepared. I'm going to be honest. I'll tell you what's on my bucket list. If You know what number one has been on my bucket list since I was nine years old? I'm going to die prepared. I'm going to be ready at any moment. God can take me today. I'm ready. God can take me tomorrow. I'm ready. God can take me next week. I'm ready. God can take me right now. I'm ready. Because we have confidence in the Father's hope of not just our spirit being deposited in his hands, but of those same hands taking that same spirit and placing that same spirit into a resurrected body that will love him and live with him forever, which is what Easter is coming up is all about. So I'll just say it one more time. You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. You're not ready to die until you're ready to meet God. And you're not ready to meet God until you're ready to do it in God's hands. I don't know about you, but if you were to say to me, what are the greatest last words ever spoken? It's not even close. <laughs> no contest. It's the words Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And here's the great news. That's the way Jesus died. And that's the way we can die. Let's pray together.